You're listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel in Oakville, Ontario. For more information, please feel free to contact us by visiting our website, harvestoakville.ca. And hey, while you're taking a seat, why don't you uh, grab a Bible if it's handy and uh, turn with me to Matthew chapter 4. Matthew 4, verses 1 through 11, uh, that's where we're going today. My name is Craig Turnbull, and I get to be one of the pastors here on staff. Uh, It's a joy for me to step in from time to time to fill in as our senior pastor takes time away, and he's away for a couple weeks, and I'm here this weekend, and next weekend, uh, Lord willing, Pastor Earl Marshall will be here. So excited for that as well, to have him return to us. Uh, But you have me today, and tonight we're talking specifically about temptation. Now, while you're turning there in your Bibles, some of you know me because I've shared this with you before, this truth, that I love animals, almost every single animal in the world, almost every single one of them, except for one, which is the hyena. I don't like hyenas at all. I think we got a picture of a hyena. I don't like these things at all. Okay, now I realize that hate is a strong word and should be used rarely. I hate hyenas. Uh, For me, it came when I started to understand a little bit about what hyenas were like, these ferocious land sharks. Uh, Here's a couple facts for you. When you begin to understand how built they are for hunting and killing, I think terror will rise in this room. First, uh, did you know this, that their jaws are the largest, strongest jaws of any land mammal? Uh, They compress 100 or 1,100 PSI. That's twice the strength, pound per square inch, of a great white shark. It enables them to crunch and chew bone, and their stomach acid can digest bone as well as things like metal. They often will hunt together in packs over 100 deep. Uh, Their uh, bodies are designed, 10% of their body weight is their heart, meaning to pump them so they can not just chase you and chomp you, they can do it for a long, long time. But these 100 will often fight amongst each other. And here's the last thing, the last horrifying truth about these animals is that they fight each other and then they often eat each other. Okay, cannibals. They have no known predators over them, no threats except for one, which is the lion. Have I also mentioned that I love lions? <laughs> I love lions. Now, the thing is, I share with you these truths. Isn't that horrible? Oh, it's just horrible. I share truths with you about this hyena just really briefly so that you could arm yourself with knowledge so that the next time you see one maybe in your backyard, you're going to know what to do. Okay, Uh, you're going to know that you can avoid this. Knowing what the threat is like, you can avoid it and prepare yourself. In fact, that's a a good philosophy for life. Knowing what the threat is like, you can avoid the harm. Knowing the anatomy of a hyena, you can avoid hyenas. You can run from hyenas. You can avoid the whole continent of Africa if that's necessary. Knowing what the enemy is like in battle will allow you to better combat, to better fight, to know what they're like allows you to stand and to withstand. Well, tonight, we're going to look at an enemy. In fact, we're going to look at the enemy, 
And we're going to see the composition of this enemy, the anatomy of this enemy, with an effort to prepare you to resist. In fact, we're going to look at the enemy. We're going to the temptation of Jesus. We're going to see exactly what the enemy is capable of. Here's the main point for us tonight. It's this. You must, we must resist temptation. Now, with God's word here in front of us, training our minds to understand the truth, we're going to find that it's not just possible to resist temptation, but we're also going to see how to resist temptation. So without any further ado, let's get into God's word uh, tonight. I want to show you our first point before we read our passage. Our first point is this, when it comes to temptation and resisting temptation, here's the first thing, bank on it, temptation will come. Bank on it, temptation is coming. Reading in verse 1, Matthew 4, Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Verse 3, And the tempter came. Now one of the biggest mistakes that you're going to make walking into this passage tonight is to suddenly think that you're immune from this. To think that you are escape, you can escape from temptation somehow. That, that maybe the old sins are old and they don't affect you anymore. That somehow you've got it conquered. Somehow this temptation won't come to you. Somehow you're special and it's not applying to you. That's one of the mistakes that you can make. In fact, the truth is, is that temptation comes to all of us. And I want to show you how it comes to us. Uh, specifically in these first two verses, notice this, that it comes often in weakness, often at a point of weakness. Verse 2 tells us that Jesus, after fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And of course he was. Of course he was hungry. That's weakness. And that's the perfect time to pounce. No wonder the enemy attacks him here. How about you? When you're tired, when the kids have run over you, when you're sick, when the workday's been hard, when a lot's been asked of you, when you're alone by yourself with no one watching, and you're hungry. Notice temptation comes often in weakness. Notice this as well. It comes often after victory. Notice, it comes after victory. What do I mean by that? Well, the first word of our passage is the word then, which tells us that something has happened immediately before that. And in fact, we look up to what's happened immediately before us. Look at verse three, or chapter 3, verse 16. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up out of the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending and like a dove and coming to rest upon him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son with whom I'm well pleased. Imagine the scene. That's a spiritual highlight, right? The baptism of Jesus Christ. The sky unfolds. The Spirit of God descends upon him and rests upon him. And the voice from heaven, the Father, speaks to him and says, This is my beloved Son with whom I'm well pleased. This declarative act of the worth of Jesus Christ, the majesty of Jesus Christ. This is a high point. This is a victory. Verse 4, chapter 4, verse 1. Then, then, then. Notice that temptation often comes after victory. How bang on is that? How bang on is that? 
powerful moments with the Lord in your life immediately followed by an attack to take me off the mountaintop. A sweet time in prayer. Maybe your own baptism the day after. Maybe it's been seeing new things in God's word and walking out the door ready to go for the day and the very first thing that you encounter, temptation. Maybe God's been using you powerfully in your ministry. Maybe, maybe interacting with your family and then all of a sudden you get this high point and then all of a sudden the next day, temptation comes. Listen, temptation doesn't take a sick day. It doesn't care if you are weak. It's not letting up. It doesn't care if you've come off a high point. It's not letting up. Often in weakness, often after victory, I want you to notice this as well. When does temptation come? Thirdly, this, always under God's authority. Always under God's authority. Verse 1, you read, Jesus did not find himself in this place by accident, but rather the text tells us that he was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. He was led. This wasn't an accidental thing. It didn't come upon him by fluke. The Spirit of God knew what he was doing. He walked Jesus into the wilderness with a specific purpose to tempt, to, fight, to face this temptation. Always under God's authority. Stop for a second and think what this means. God leads you to where you'll be tempted. Now, before we move on, it's important to note that the temptation is not performed by God. It's performed by Satan. God himself will never tempt you to evil, but he will lead you. He will lead you to the place of temptation. That's significant. That word for tempted means to place you under a trial or under a test. God can lead me to temptation for his sovereign purposes. He can place me into a, the line of fire. Not to shoot at me himself, but that the enemy would shoot at me. He can place me in that line of fire for a couple of reasons. To refine me. To make me rely more upon the grace and the mercy of God. To, to recognize my great need for God. To cry out again to God for help. He can refine me through temptation. But he can also prove the worth within me as I resist the temptation. He can prove his strength to me. He can prove his grace and his mercy to me. Listen, loved ones, why is this truth so critical? Why is this so important? Why is this such a big deal? I'll tell you why. Because when you get into a hard place, you have to ask yourself the question, how did I get here? And either you got here by fluke and by chance or even worse, by directly being influenced by Satan, or even worse, because God doesn't care. That's why you're there. Either you got there through that reason, or you got there because God is in control. And the truth from the text for you tonight is that God is in control. He controls everything. He controls the good days. He controls the bad days in your life. God is sovereign God is sovereign. Who came here tonight to hear this? To hear just that. That that place of difficulty that you're in right now is not because of a fluke. 
That place of difficulty you're in right now is because God himself has wanted you in that place. He sovereignly placed you in that place to refine you, to grow you, and to prove his character in you. Always under God's control. Maybe to you tonight, God is saying, I am with you, I am with you, I am for you, I am enough for you. Well, that's how it comes. That's how temptation comes. Often when we're weak. Often after a great victory, but always under God's sovereign authority. Listen, bank on it. Bank on it. Temptation's coming. Bank on it. Temptation's coming. And resist it. The enemy is going to advance. So let me ask you tonight, what's your plan? Okay, you know this. You know the enemy's coming. You know he's going to come. He's going to hit you when you're weak. He's going to hit you after the high points. It doesn't matter if it's a good day or a bad day. He's coming. God's going to bring this into your life. The enemy's coming. How are you going to plan for this? Are you going to plan for this? Is this a big deal? Do you even care? Are you ready for this to come? Howard Hendricks was a professor at Dallas Theological Seminary. He did a study of 246 men in full-time ministry who experienced, each of them, a moral failing having been involved in an extramarital affair. After interviewing each man, Dr. Hendricks compiled common characteristics of their lives. Without exception, listen, without exception, all 246 said the phrase, I never thought this would happen to me. But it did. Listen, temptation's coming. You can bank on it. It's coming for you. It's going to get you when you're weak. It's coming for you after the great mountaintops. The Lord will allow this to come into your life. So you better be ready. You better be ready. But how do you get ready? How do you get ready? Well, Jesus is going to show us exactly how to do this. I want you to notice this secondly. If we're called to resist temptation tonight, you got to bank on it because temptation's coming. But I want you to see this secondly. you got to brace for it because temptation has deadly aim. Temptation's aim never changes. From the very beginning in Genesis 3 with with Eve in the garden until you and I tonight, temptation always aims for the same three targets. So you know it's coming. Knowing it's coming is one thing, but now notice how it's going to come at you. Notice how it's going to attack you. Notice how it's going to aim at you. I want you to see three things still under this second point. First, I want you to see that temptation's going to aim right to sever God's truth from you. Temptation is going to draw its bow and arrow, and it's going to shoot directly at your reliance upon God's word. It's going to shoot right at the truth in your life. It's going to try and knock it off. Look at verse 3. And the tempter came to him and said to him, if, if you are the son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he, this is Jesus, answered him. It is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Real temptation is brought to Jesus. He comes at him when he's weak. He comes after the victory point. The Spirit of the Lord directs him to come to him, and he offers him this temptation of turn the stones into bread. Translation, trust in yourself. You can do this. You got it on your own. I want you to see that these temptations are universal. I want you to see that these temptations hit not just Jesus, but they, but they hit us as well. Granted, you and I will never find ourselves in the wilderness and be tempted to turn rocks into bread. But you and I will find ourselves in places of difficulty and will be tempted to trust in ourselves. 
we'll be tempted to push away truth and, and, and take truth into our own hearts and say, you know what, I'm deciding now what's right. I'm deciding the truth in this moment. But now to see Jesus' response, I want you to see this, verse 4. Verse 4, his response is this, man shall not live by bread alone, but every word that comes from the mouth of God. Translation, my sustenance, my well-being, Satan, doesn't come from bread. It doesn't come from bread. It comes from truth. Satan, what you're trying to tell me is important, isn't important at all. You lie. I hold to the truth. You see, what's happening here is a lie of personal dependence. The whisper goes into his ear. You don't need God's help. You can do it alone. You, you can do it. Your own strength, your own power. You're hungry. Fix the need. Take matters into your own hands. You deserve it. You see, Jesus is trying to cling to the truth, and Satan is trying to knock him off it. Jesus holds the truth, and Satan's aiming for the truth. Now, Jesus deflects the lies with the truth, that the truth matters. It's critical. Loved ones, the same is true for you and I. Satan's aim is precise in our lives as well. For us to fall into any kind of sin, the first step that needs to happen is he needs to blind us to the truth. He needs to push the truth of God's word away from us. He needs to get rid of this book in our lives, get it out of our lives, get it out of our sight. We don't see it, we don't notice it, we don't care about it. Let's say you and I tonight get on a plane. You packed your bags. Strangely, you came to church with a full suitcase. And I say to you, hey, let's go to Paris. Okay? And you say, okay, great. So we go to Paris, and then I'm trying to play a practical joke when we get there in the morning, okay? We're walking out in, in Paris, and, and you're rubbing your eyes, and then all of a sudden, I'm trying to convince you that you're not in Paris anymore. <laughs> you're actually still in Toronto. Ha, I gotcha. You know what it's going to take for me to convince you that you're not in Paris, but you're actually in Toronto? I'm going to have to get a lot of black curtains and, and, and put the black curtain over the Eiffel Tower and, and put it over the Louvre and put it over the guy on the sidewalk with the beret and the baguette. I've never been to Paris. I don't know if you can tell. I'm going to have to blind you to the truth to convince you of something else. That's exactly Satan's aim, loved ones. He's trying to remove the truth from your life, to get you to believe the lie, to get you to sin, to kick the truth away that God loves you, to kick the truth away that God's powerful, that he sees you, that God is good, that your creator knows what's best for your life, that when God tells you not to do something. He's really telling you, don't hurt yourself. He's trying to blind you to those things. These truths that come directly from the word of God, he's got to remove that truth for sin to operate in your life. That's what the enemy is aiming for. And when that truth gets pushed away, you start saying things like, no one will see. It doesn't really matter. You know, I, I deserve a break. He's not paying attention to me anymore. She doesn't respect me anymore. No one's going to find out. God, God, God isn't good. God's holding out on me. You know, God really just wants me to be happy. 
I deserve this. I got it coming to me. And he deserved that because he had it coming to him. What does it even matter? It's just once. If I give in now, it'll probably get easier. Nobody understands me. I'm worthless. Some of you are engaged in behavior right now where the truth is gone. Some of you have had the truth knocked out of your life and you're missing this. He's, he's taken the word of God and slapped it out of your hands. It's a lie of personal dependence that you don't need God's help. You don't need God's power. You can do it alone. You have it within your own strength. Not God's plan, not God's power, not your truth, God, my truth. Not your truth, God. I set the rules, my truth. And when the enemy gets you into that place, when the enemy gets you into that place, he laughs. He tricks you into walking into the pen with a hyenas. He pushes you off the airplane without the parachute. And the enemy laughs because you are just one step closer to being completely destroyed. Jesus didn't have any of this. Jesus doesn't take in this. He completely kicks him away. No, 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 no. I live by the truth. I live by the words that come from my father's mouth. I hold to the truth, as hard as this would be. So Satan takes aim, and he shoots a second time. Look at verse 5. And the devil took him. Notice this. We've talked about this already. Satan has been given the authority to do this by God. The devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down, for it's written, he will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Well, the first aim of temptation was to cut me from God's truth. The second aim of temptation was to switch God's plan for me. Satan wants to sever God's truth. Now he wants to switch God's plan. Satan wants, me to get, get, wants to get me off God's plan for my life as quickly and as efficiently as possible. The scene is this. Jesus is somehow miraculously taken by Satan to the top of the corner of the temple. This would place him about 300 feet above, looking down at the Kidron Valley, looking at everyone. And Satan then tempts him, why don't you just jump off? He's not tempting him to kill himself. He's tempting, him, he's tempting Jesus to say, why don't you just make a dramatic appearance? Why don't you just declare yourself to be Messiah right now? Now, this is important because many Jews at the time were actually misunderstanding Scripture despite prophecies to the contrary. Specifically, there's one, Malachi 3.1, about the sudden appearance at the temple of Messiah. But there's countless other prophecies that speak of his humble beginnings. Well, the Jews were misinterpreting this. And so what Satan is tempting him to do is to just make a dramatic appearance. Come, just, just show us who you are. And he twists the words of Psalm 91. Take the path of least resistance, Jesus. If you're the Son of God, make a grand entrance. Be miraculously received by the people. Don't you think they'd love you? Standing there on this bright, clear day, and all of a sudden, here comes this figure descending as carried by angels. They wouldn't have any doubt that you're the Messiah. Surely they would follow you. That's a better plan, don't you think? That's a better plan. You don't need to follow God's plan. You can set your own. 
It doesn't have to be hard. It doesn't have to include rejection and pain. You can take the path of ease right now. Again, the temptation is universal. I'm sure you and I won't find ourselves on the top of the Temple Mount, but I'm certain that you and I will find ourselves in a place of doubting God's plan for our lives. Satan whispers into the ear and shoots right at the heart of God's sovereignty for our lives. And the lie is whispered. You don't have to do it God's way. You can do it your way. This plan is too hard. It's too messy. She's not worth it. He's not worth it. I'm just so tired. No one understands. I'm all alone. You know, I look on, I look on, on the internet, I look on Facebook, and I see people's lives, and they seem to have it all together. They got that perfect family. They got that perfect job. They got those kids. That's nothing like my life. It's nothing like me. Why do they have it so easy? Why can't I have it? Why can't I have that life too? I want that relationship. I want that job. I want that happiness. If God's so good, why do I have to go through this? And the arrow sinks home. You know what? Forget this. I'm not doing this plan. Forget this. I tried it your way, God. I tried this whole obedience thing. I'm, I'm, I'm done. God's holding out on me. And I take the matters into my own hands. And now all of a sudden, all I'm hungry for are the things that make me happy. Not your plan, God. My plan in life. Not your plan. My plan. You see what's at stake for Jesus, don't you? If he descends from the temple, if he's miraculously received to the people as Messiah in that moment, which he could have done, and it could have gone that way, you know what's going to happen, right? No cross. No rejection by people. No despised. No spat upon. No whipped. No beaten. No mocked. But no cross. No satisfaction for sins. No forgiveness of sins. No you and I finding in Jesus the hope of glory. No heaven for us. We lost it all if he falls from the temple. No, it was his father's will that he should offer his life in sacrifice to ours, and it was our Savior's good pleasure to do it. And so he says, again it is written, you shall not put the Lord to a test. Don't test my father and his plan for my life, Satan. I will obey, even if it's agony, even if it's agony, even if I die, I will obey. And we find our Savior, pages later in the book of Matthew, on his knees in a garden, calling out, if it's possible, can I not do this? Nevertheless, not as I want, but as you want. Not my plan, God, your plan. We see the obedience of Jesus Christ in this place. But listen, with truth gone in our lives, with truth gone in our lives, we're going to say, no, 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 no. Not your plan, God. My plan. 
With truth gone in our lives, we'll start to see suffering and difficulty as God's punishment on us, or even worse, his abandonment of us. We'll fail to see that God is with us, and what's more, that he suffers with us and carries us in the storm, that he is the God who never leaves, he never forsakes. He is the Father who loves you. He says to you, even tonight, I'm with you. I'm for you. I know what it's like to suffer. I sent my son. He died. I felt the pain. But I call you to walk this path. It's for your good and for my glory. But Satan wants none of that. He wants to lop truth from your hands. He wants to move you from the path that God has placed in your life, be it difficult, be it hard, be it agony some days. And he wants you to say, forget it. I'm doing this my way now. God's holding out on me. I'm in charge. My plan, not yours, God. I'm through with doing things the hard way. And when he gets that, when he pushes the truth and he takes you off the path, now he's ready for the final shot. Now he's ready to take you down. Severed from God's truth. Switched from God's plan. I want you to notice this thirdly. Temptation aims to steal God's glory through me. Kicked away is the truth. Kicked away is the plan for my life. And now God, Satan's going right for the glory that God deserves. Verse 8. And again, the, de- the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, verse 9, all these things I will give to you if you fall down and you worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. What Satan demands of Jesus right now is nothing less than total worship. No truth, no way of difficulty. Now just bow down and worship me, and I will give you everything you want. Just do what I say. The same is true for us, loved ones. We may not have an accountant where we fall down and worship directly the figure of Satan, but our hearts will be turned to worship anything but God. When truth is silenced, even for a moment, and God's plan is lost for us, my heart turns to worship. If he can kill truth and bump me away from obedience, there's a wide open target to my heart. And he'll get that heart of worship. And what does that heart worship? Satan doesn't care. He doesn't care, just as long as it's not God. He'll get you to worship your money. He'll get you to worship your comfort. He'll get you to worship your stuff. He'll get you to worship your kids or your job. He'll get you to worship achievement. He'll get you to worship sex or entertainment. He'll get you to worship rules, even. He'll get you to worship fear. He'll get you to worship legalism. He'll get you to worship your pride. He'll get you to worship anything, just as long as it's not God. And living for these things begin to empty you as you live for the next fix, the next encounter, the next purchase, the next beach, the next pay increase, the next vacation, the next milestone, and on and on and on. But if you would have the sense to lift your eyes to see what's happening, you would see the complete pointlessness of it all. That Satan is blinding you to walk in a numb life to worship other things. This pointlessness Listen, loved ones, bank on it. Temptation's coming, often when you're weak, often after victory, but always under God's authority. Brace for it. Temptation has deadly aim. It aims to take the truth away. It aims to lead you astray, and it aims to destroy your worship to God. That's the anatomy of the enemy. That's what he's looking to do. Self-dependence, self-plan, self-worship. 
my truth, my plan for my life, and my worship of me. This is a big deal. This is a big deal to you tonight. Do you get this tonight? You know, I think some of you are thinking, no, not so much. Jesus' words in John chapter 10 are amazing to me. He tells us that the thief comes to kill, to steal, and destroy. That's Satan's goal. He wants to kill you, steal you, and destroy you. This is not a game. What's at stake here is your life. Countless souls have treated this as no big deal, and they've walked away to their doom. Countless Christians have viewed temptation as no big deal and have brought destruction and hurt and pain into their lives and the lives of those around them. You may be forgiven from that sin, but there's still destruction in your life. Is this a big deal for you tonight? Are you holding on to these things? Are you, have you let go of the truth and held on to your version of the story? Do you believe that your plan for your life is the best? Are you living for self in this way? Are you waking up and smelling the coffee here? Satan doesn't want your happiness. He wants to kill you and destroy you. He wants to wreck your lives and the lives of those around you. He wants your wife crying on the couch because of the pain that you've brought. He wants your kids hanging their heads in shame because of what they've seen in their mom. He wants your parents walking away from you heartbroken over the decisions that you've made again and again to reject the truth. He wants your marriages destroyed. He wants your job lost. He wants your money spent. He wants your mind wrecked. He wants your future ruined. He wants you to live a completely pointless life just for self. He comes to kill you and steal and destroy you. Do you sense the urgency in this passage? I pray you do. I pray you're sitting here saying, no, no, I must, I must resist temptation. I must do this. And I pray the urgency rises in your heart. And if that's true, then yes, how do you do it is the next question. How do you resist this temptation? This brings us to our third point here tonight. When it comes to temptation, yes, for sure, for sure, you've got you to bank on it that's coming. For sure, you've got to brace for it. It's got the aim. But now thirdly this, you've got to battle it. You've got to battle it because here's the great truth. Temptation can be defeated. And that's a great hope for us tonight. You don't have to live like this. There's great hope for you tonight. There's great weapons available to you tonight if you would take them, if you would pick them up. Listen, it's not enough to know that temptation's coming. It's not enough to know that it's deadly. You've got to fight against it. And there's two weapons I see in the text immediately at the ready for the believer in this passage. The first one is clearly the word of God. Did you see this? Weapon number one, the word of God. Pick it up. Use the word of God. Three times Jesus quotes scripture. The enemy seems to know that the weapon is a deadly one because this is the very first attack that Satan places against Jesus. He tries to slap the word of God out of his hand. But three times Jesus picks up the Bible and speaks against it. Three times he parries us. What does that tell you? What does that tell you? I'll tell you what that tells me. Even Jesus uses the word of God. Even Jesus the second person of the Trinity refuses to rely on self. He holds the word of God in his hands. Even Jesus uses the Bible to defend himself against temptation. What does that tell you? 
I know what it tells me. It tells me this. If Jesus needs the truth, then I need the truth too. I need the truth. I need the word of God in my life. I need to pick up the savor of the word of God and sharpen it in my life. Get it at the ready. Hold it firmly. Ready for the attacks when they would come. How do you do this though? How do you sharpen the word of God in your life? Well, I came up with a few ways that you can do it. I'll put it on the screen here for you. How can I sharpen the word of God in my life? How can I have that sword at the ready when temptation comes to me? Knowing that it's coming and knowing what it's shooting for, how do I get the sword ready? How do I fight against temptation? Well, the first one I put it on is that you would uh, love it, that you would love it, love it. Psalm uh, uh, 119 verse 97 says, oh, how I love your law. It's my meditation all the day. To know tonight as you sit here that the word of God is important and to cling to it, that's the first step. But it's not enough to love it. You've also got to read it. You've got to read it. Psalm 119.18 says, Open my eyes and I may behold wondrous things out of your law. That's a daily soaking in the word of God. That's reading the word of God. It doesn't do, you know this, right? It doesn't do to just buy a Bible and just have it, right? There's no charm to that. You've got to read it. You've got to know what it says. You've got to study it. Now, thirdly, this, you've got to declare it. With my lips, I declare the rules of your mouth, says Psalm 119, verse 13. What I mean by this is you speak to others about it. You speak the truth of God's word to others. It's always at the ready. You write out the word of God. Maybe Maybe you put it in your car as you're driving. Maybe you put it on the window in, in, in your house. Maybe you put it in the mirror in the morning. Maybe you tattoo it in your eyeball. <laughs> or maybe not. But you're reading it constantly. You're declaring it. Fourthly, this, you're meditating on it. I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways, to Psalm 119. Meditating on it. That's a deliberate, thought-filled soaking of God's word. To stop and to consider it. To read slowly through God's word. To be okay that you didn't get through the chapter in your reading plan. Because you got stuck on a verse and you stayed there for a long time because God was speaking to you. It's okay to do this. You know that, right? It's okay to do this. There's no police officer who's going to knock on your door and say, did you finish the chapter? <laughs> you soak on it. Maybe you stop at a word. Maybe you stop at a verse. Here's the last one. Memorize it. Great verse. I've stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. You know you got a battle with lust. You know you got a battle with greed. You know you got a battle with envy. You know you got a battle with pride in your heart. What are the verses you got in your head to combat those things? What are the verses you've got at the ready when the temptation comes to you? How's the sword getting pulled out in those instances? How's the truth being dealt out? Nothing guards the heart from a liar like the truth. Nothing guards the heart from lies like the truth. Do you have that sword sharpened in your life? That's the first weapon. But there's another. There's another weapon, and thank God there is, because what we've heard so far is not enough. 
It's not enough to know the temptation's coming. It's not enough to know where it's going to shoot me when it comes. It's not enough even to, to do my best to get God's word into my life as best I can. I need something more. I need more firepower in my life. I need another weapon. Did you see the second weapon? He's walking around in the story. The second weapon against temptation is a living, breathing, lethal weapon against Satan. It is the heaviest firepower imaginable. Weapon number two is the Son of God. And this is universe-shatteringly important. I don't want to understate this. It's huge. When you see this passage and your heart is lifted to the Lord Jesus Christ as temptation after temptation hits him, even though he's weak, even though the Lord has brought him to this place, even after great victory, as you see temptation after temptation being deflected from Jesus, one truth remains that Jesus never gave in. He never gave in to temptation. It's the great truth. And why is this so encouraging? Well, it's significant because Jesus is there to help you. The one who never gave in to temptation is at your immediate disposal. He calls to you to rely upon him. In fact, Hebrews 2 on the screen for you. Hebrews 2, for, he him, for because he himself has suffered when tempted, he's able to help those who are being tempted. He knows what it's like to be tempted in the ways that you've been tempted. He knows how hard it can be. He knows sleepless nights. He knows the heart whispers that come in and try and take away the truth. He knows what this is like. He never gave in and he's able to help you. That's a great encouragement for you tonight. He knows and he will help you in the middle of your temptation. Listen, that's significant, that weapon, because the Son of God is there to help. But still, but still, I need more. It's not enough to know that temptation's coming. It's not enough to know how it's going to hit me. It's not enough to get the word of God in my hands and in my heart. It's not enough to do this because it's not enough even to know that Jesus will help me. You know why it's not enough? Do you know why it's not enough? Because I fail. Because you fail. Because you can't do it. You can't do it. What we have in this passage, what we see in Jesus, the proof of his obedience is the anchor bolt to the gospel. It's the anchor bolt to the greatest truth that ever could be spoken to you. The greatest truth that Jesus Christ, in his infinite perfection, walked this earth and, like this passage, never ever gave in to sin, perfectly living this life, and his perfect life of righteousness was given up in sacrifice. It was placed upon the cross. And in that moment, all of my perfect sinfulness was placed upon his shoulders. He willingly took it upon himself. He willingly took all of my sin, all of your sin, and paid for it finally and completely at the cross. And the great truth of the gospel is not just that we've been forgiven from our sins, but also the great truth that you and I have been declared righteous in Jesus Christ. That all of that worth, all of that excellent obedience against sin is now applied to your life. And God the Father, when he looks at you, sees the perfect righteousness of Jesus imputed, pressed upon, credited it into your bank account. That's the truth of the gospel. 
That's the hope in this passage. The hope in this passage is that on a cross, his perfect righteousness was given to me. That I don't need to be perfect because I can't. I don't stand in front of you tonight as a guy who's figured out temptation. I don't stand in front of you as a guy who's perfectly obedient all the time. I stand in front of you tonight as somebody who fails all the time. All the time. I let the lie come in. I let the truth come out. I decide my own plan for my life. And I worship self. I go for the things that don't matter. But the great weapon in this passage is that Jesus Christ has succeeded where I failed. You see, the thief, the enemy, the liar, Satan comes to kill, to steal, and destroy. But Jesus Christ came that you might have life and that you might have it abundantly. The grand truth of this book, the grand truth of our faith is that yes, 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 grace will can, can help me in the time of need. Grace can be there. I can resist temptation as I lean upon him and his help. But the greater, the greater truth, the greater promise in this book is that when I do fail, I am forgiven in Christ. I am freed from sin and death. In Christ, there is forgiveness. Who needs to hear that today? That there is mercy today. That there is grace today for you who failed. You haven't resisted much. Maybe you've tried in your own strength. Maybe you've not even tried to resist. And temptation comes and washes over you and you embrace it every single time. But for you, for you, there is victory found in Christ. That you would come, that you would bring your failings and you would find his forgiveness. And what's more, there's one more sweet thing I want to show you in this passage. There's something more here. Not only has he done this great work over sin, the one I lean on, the one I cling to, the one in whose righteousness I trust, has also wondrously and completely kicked Satan in the teeth. Watch this, verse 10. Then Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan. Verse 11. Then the devil left him. Get lost, Satan. And he left. And the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. And the promise we have from God's word tonight is that he did. And he can do it in your life, too. We must resist temptation through the power of the good news of Jesus Christ. May it be so. Let's pray together. Lord, I confess to you so many times, I, I believe in reading this passage that I can do exactly the same thing you can do without failing, without ever faltering. That I think I have it within my own power to completely, 100% resist temptation. When the truth is anything but this. The truth is, is that temptation comes over me. Sometimes I'm not even aware how it comes and hits me. 
and I falter and I fail. But the greater truth is that for failures, for failures, there is grace and there is mercy found even tonight in Jesus Christ. My strength is not enough. I cannot do it myself. I need Jesus. I cannot live this perfect life. I cannot lean on self. I cannot resist in my own strength. I need Jesus. Lord, I pray for loved ones here tonight. And I can just bet that as we've been talking about temptation, there have been some that have been thinking specifically of temptation in their lives. Things that have overruled them and wrecked them. Things that have affected lives around them, not just themselves. And there are hearts tonight that are looking to you and saying, Lord, I'm done. I want this. I'm done. I want to change. Lord, I pray that those hearts find landing in you, find rest in you, and even tonight, Lord, find hope in you. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen.